In 2021, as Worthington Christian's Board of Directors began their search for the next head of school, they prayed that the Lord would lead and guide them. Who will carry on the school's legacy of spirit-led leadership? Who will be able to create and share an inspired vision for the school in its next chapter? As the board sought God's face for answers to these questions, the Spirit led them to Dr. Mike Hayes and his wife, Angela. Dr. Hayes has worked at Lee University in Cleveland, Tennessee for the last 27 years as a counselor, professor, and administrator, and he currently serves as the university's vice president of student development. As a Lee graduate myself, I was thrilled to recently return to my alma mater to sit down with Dr. and Mrs. Hayes to get an in-depth glimpse of how God is writing their story. You grew up in Sydney, Ohio. Tell me about that. Growing up in Sydney, Ohio was a rather unique experience. So it's right on the I-75 corridor, kind of right between Cincinnati and Toledo. Uh, Growing up in Sydney provided a lot of wonderful opportunities. As I said in some of my statements before uh, and was included in my press release was this true desire and penchant to just play ball. I loved growing up in Sydney. So many opportunities to do that. A really strong faith community. And I think one of the things that growing up in Sydney taught me is the value of a great work ethic as well. So strong farming community, some industry, but uh, growing up in Sydney has been such a blessing. Would you say that's part of your draw to return to Ohio in this season of your life? Most definitely. Coming back to live in Ohio is indeed something that I've always wanted to do. So Angela and I, after we graduated from Lee back in 1990, we moved to Toledo for a year and we worked at a church there. She worked in their private Christian school and I helped to launch a counseling ministry for them. We spent a year there, we committed the year, and then we moved back down to Cleveland and have been here since. But We've always wanted to go back, and I've always wanted to get back home for me. I'm curious, would you identify as a teenager as an academic or someone that was more athletically minded and gifted? How would you identify yourself during that season? I would say it was actually a pretty good mix of both. And I think it's one of the things that resonates deeply with this opportunity at WC. I see that the school is committed to the life of the mind, specifically the mind of Christ, but also this idea of the holistic development and holistic engagement of the students. We want them to grow. We want them to grow, again, holistically. We want them to grow in knowledge and stature, as Jesus uh, was spoken about uh, even in the Gospels. So I think for me, it was actually, again, a mix of both, an academic growth, that parallel of faith growth. And for me, again, sports was just a natural outlet. We lived really close to the local ball field and I'd just hop on my bike and ride down. And if I wasn't playing, I'd watch, you know, maybe uh, go out and get a foul ball and get a piece of bubble gum because I took it back to the ump. So it's just kind of part of who I am. So I would say it's actually a little bit of both, um, academic, uh, cognitive, but also really engaged in trying to be active in that way. And what was your family like? Uh, my family uh, life was actually interesting because my parents divorced when I was four. Uh, My mom remarried a few years after that, uh, worked through a lot of family stuff. So part of it was readjusting. So particularly for those those families at WC who are working through similar adjustments, I can uh, definitely personally empathize with those things. 
So for me, uh, those things were actually um, some of those early moments of, okay, how am I going to make sense of my own life? And how am I going to progress through this whole transition uh, with a sense of, of, of being, being whole myself? So for us, after, after my mom's remarriage to my stepdad, uh, it's a lot of valuable learning for me. In fact, one of the things that I think really touches me deeply even today, uh, and thankfully my mom and my stepdad are still alive in Sydney, um, I learned a great deal about God's love from both of them. I learned a great deal about God's love from my mom just being constant, uh, being willing to tough out some very difficult years from my family of origin with my birth father. But what I learned from my stepfather coming from Maryland, he really didn't know us at all. Um, my mom and he dated a little bit, and he actually came over to Ohio and took us on as a responsibility. One of the things that I learned from him specifically was something perhaps different about the love of God, about how the Father seeks and chooses to love us, even though he may not have to. So for me, that was a really critical lesson in my family growing up. I also grew up with an older brother and a younger sister, and uh, I have deeply cherished memories with them. So it was a time of transition, but again, a time of deep faith and really a time of deep learning, particularly as I watched my mom and my stepdad navigate those changes. So how does a teenage boy from Sydney, Ohio, end up in small town Cleveland, Tennessee to go to university? So I was uh, born and raised in a particular church in Sydney, the Sydney Church of God. And uh, there are denominational ties between uh, that denomination and Lee University. So I think when I was born, my mom had said, he's going to Lee College at the time. So in the late 90s, Lee College became Lee University. And um, even though I looked at so many different colleges around the area of Sydney, including Ohio State, uh, I did feel a calling here particularly because of it being a faith-based uh, liberal arts university, college at the time. And I did feel compelled to study both Bible and psychology, and I found a real deep connection here. So that's how I wound up here, and uh, it's how I wound up here, not just as a student, but as a long-term staff and faculty member. What was it about your teen years that piqued your curiosity and your interest in the fields of Bible and psychology? Uh, early in my youth group experience, uh, I did feel this, this nudging from the Lord saying, uh, Mike, I want you to devote your life to me. It wasn't a specific call to pulpit ministry. I knew that it would perhaps involve that at some point in my life, but I, but I definitely felt the call to be involved in truly caring for people in a pastoral sense. So I, I, I spent a few years trying to sort through that. Was it, a, was it a call to be a pastor? Was it a call to be a full-time pastor? Was it a call to be a bivocational pastor? Uh, ultimately, I felt a call to just, just care for people. And as I progressed through my studies at Lee, uh, I think the Lord's leading became much more evident to me through a series of revelations, I would say, that I needed to pursue a career in psychology at the time to maybe understand how people ticked a little bit better, uh, to learn how to care for them. Uh, but I do have to admit, so many of those early experiences in my childhood and in my adolescence led to this quest to understand myself better. And I think that that's part of the reason why I felt compelled 
from the Lord's leading and perhaps uh, out of my deep experiences to pursue those avenues. If someone were to ask you, what's your testimony? My testimony boils down to God's faithfulness. Uh, in fact, one of my favorite songs is Great Is Thy Faithfulness. That's obviously very old. And then I love this newer song uh, about the goodness of God, you know, because to me they resonate, they're, 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 they're decades apart, but they're based on the same truth about God's faithfulness. Um, I can't lie, I've been through some really difficult things uh, in terms of family and personally, but in spite of my own struggles, in, in spite of my own questioning of my own value, uh, God's faithfulness has always been there. In fact, um, uh, there was a time during, during my experience, at least in my undergraduate days, uh, I was a sophomore and um, I, was, I was struggling pretty deeply. I was struggling a good bit with my faith. I was um, trying to work through a lot of the things from the past and uh, struggling to just get up and go to class. I know a lot of college students experience that anyway, but, but to me it was almost kind of an existential struggle. And I'll never forget after uh, a few weeks of struggle, uh, I finally woke up one day and I walked down to the campus post office where we used to get mail, you know, snail mail. I don't know how many people know about that, but uh, I had walked down to the post office and I was actually coming up a set of stairs and and I remember just being in this place of deep reflection and you know, wondering if God really, really was there and uh, if he was there, whether he cared, you know, uh, deep questions about, you know, if God is kind of the chess master, am I just kind of a pawn in his big grand game of chess? I mean, some real deep questions about my faith and, and who I was about who God was. I'll never forget when I got to the top of those steps that uh, I felt this deep sense in me. I felt, I felt the Lord speak to me. And he said, what was the oddest thing at that time? And it took me a while to sort it out, but, but I felt this, this deep within me. It said, Jesus loves me, but I don't. And that was it. And, and I'm like, okay, Lord, what are you trying to say to me? And it was through that moment, that encounter with God, that I, that I began to realize you know, I'm trying to figure this out way too much by myself. And I'm actually trying to do this in a way that is based on that real dysfunctional sense of my, of my self-worth being solely based on my performance. So for me, I had to really get into truly embracing grace in my own life and understanding that the way that I was evaluating myself had very little, if, if, if nothing to do, with the way that God saw me and the way that God continued to pursue me. You describe yourself as both athletic and academic in high school. What did your undergraduate career at Lee look like? Uh, I had some rough spots. In fact, that semester when I felt God had spoken to me about, hey, Mike, you need to really start to look at yourself a little differently because it's really getting your way about how I want you to flourish uh, I actually had a very difficult semester that semester. In fact, um, I didn't know if I was going to be able to come back because I did, uh, I'd done so poorly. Uh, I came back the next semester, had some conversations with some key uh, staff members. The types of conversations I get to have now with students who are struggling, but uh, they really spoke life into me, and I think it was a real turnaround point for me. So the first few years uh, of my college degree, uh, man, uh, let's put it this way. I don't want anybody 
to post about my GPA on social media, all right? Now, the last two or three years of my undergraduate, uh, what a difference that encounter with, with, with God made. And also, I have to admit, I met Angela, and obviously from there, uh, the rest is history, so to say. But that pivot point was so critical for me. And then after that, really cultivating the life of the mind from an integration perspective, obviously with the truth revealed in God's word. This year, you guys will be celebrating 34 years of marriage. And you met right here on this campus. Is that right? You are correct. Tell me about that. So we actually came as freshmen together in 1985. And we had met each other briefly and had kind of a remote friendship. And then in the fall of our sophomore year, uh, I decided to ask her out to a sweater party, the most random thing, but you know, it's a, it's a college, so you come up with things like that. Uh, the sweater party never happened. <laughs> but hey, we still hit it off. Our friends uh, who had put it on said that they just didn't want to do it anymore. So we actually followed up with a date with our best friends. So we went to church on a Sunday morning with our friends. They had put lunch in and uh, church was running long that morning. So we had to hurry and leave before uh, perhaps the apartment caught fire. But that was our first date, and we actually spent the bulk of the time together. We actually wrapped up the evening in a chapel service, and uh, after that it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Kind of touch and go for a few days, but it was a lot of fun. And then uh, tell me what happened in the years following that. So we uh, deepened a relationship, uh, really found a lot of common ground. Uh, realized that uh, we could help each other flourish in our relationship, felt a deep resonance in the individual callings on our lives, and uh, made a go of it. A couple years later, we were married. Uh, we got married in deep South Georgia, where she's from, and uh, it was uh, an interesting cultural adjustment. And I never forget, one of my cousins came down and he went to the Piggly Wiggly grocery store, and he asked where the pop was, and they said, pop? They had no idea what pop was, so it took them about five minutes to figure out, oh, you mean the Coke aisle. So they figured it out, so after a little bit of a cultural adjustment, uh, yeah, we've, we've been married almost 34 years and uh, been able to work through a lot of uh, cultural uh, adaptations. Yes, absolutely. So the North met the South here in Tennessee. And when did you complete your graduate studies during that timeline? I finished my master's in 1992 and that was at the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga. That was the year after we returned to the Cleveland area. And then after that, I did some post-master's work in seminary uh, to actually do some faith integration, but also to learn more about the assessment, diagnosis, and treatment of mental disorders, particularly from a pastoral care perspective. I also did some post-master's work in industrial organizational psychology. It's basically how do humans behave within organizations. And that's actually where I fell in love with, with the study of leadership uh, and specific areas like motivation, how organizations operate well and how to develop organizations. And then out of that, I entered the doctoral program in educational leadership and policy studies at the University of Tennessee at Knoxville. And that's uh, where I received my doctorate. And when you first came back to Lee as a staff member, what was your role then? I came back uh, to work in the Office of Counseling and Testing. So I had worked in the local mental health center and, and worked my way to managing the whole operation there to oversee the care for all of the clients and patients uh, for the two counties, Bradley and Polk counties here in Tennessee. 
Uh, so what I did is I came to the counseling and testing office. I was a full-time counselor at the time and began teaching a freshman orientation course and also a statistics course in psychology. So I kind of got the best of both worlds, really doing the day-to-day, -day, hanging out with the students, but then teaching, you know, real complex things like statistics. I think a lot of people are like, how in the world? I'm like, I love both worlds. So uh, don't ask me how, but that's just how God created me. <laughs> it seems like since that time, you have worn so many different hats. How, can you even remember them all or how would you describe them all? Yeah. Uh, I can remember them all in maybe little bits and pieces, but I think uh, I, would, I would describe them all again. It's all against the backdrop of God's faithfulness. And it's that word that you uh, talked about a little earlier, this concept of shaping, how God has allowed me to have this variety of experiences uh, that have shaped me to who I am today. So even those early childhood, early family experiences that were painful and learning how to uh, in the words of a great writer that I respect deeply, how to become a wounded healer. I think I see these grand themes in my life and all of these experiences, counseling, teaching, and teaching consistently over the past 27 years, different courses, leadership, psychology, all the way from teaching high school students in, in an honors program, all the way to helping to serve on people's dissertation committees, the whole thing. Uh, also, evaluating faculty, helping to hire faculty. So many things I've been able to be involved with that I think have actually led me to what I see as providential, this, this opportunity, this, this anointed opportunity to be the next head of school at Worthington Christian. But you've also been deeply involved in the community. What, what have those connections looked like for you? Those connections have looked varied as well as uh, those varied experiences here on campus. I've been able to serve on numerous boards here in the area. Uh, the three that I currently serve on are the Habitat for Humanity Board of Directors, also the Bradley Prevention Coalition, which is aimed at stopping uh, illegal drugs from entering the county, specifically opioids. Uh, the third one is actually serving on the board of Haven Place, a local youth community center. So for me, that's actually a, a deep expression of my faith. Uh, so part of my early experiences in my family uh, involved struggling with, with, with poverty, you know, being on government aid, uh, the family not having a lot of resources. You know, there were many months when we struggled to kind of get through with, with enough food. So for me, it's a deep commitment to, again, kind of in the, in the sense of being a wounded healer, making sure that I'm investing in the lives of others. Uh, you know, honestly, uh, and I'm definitely not just playing to the crowd here, but but Woody Hayes, he had a great line. He always said, you can't pay it back, so pay it forward. So for me, that's actually part of my call is to, is to pay it forward, but not just for me to pay it forward, but to help create systems for other people, specifically students, to pay it forward. You've taught many courses on leadership. You've, you have a doctoral degree in leadership. Do you think that uh, leaders are natural born or made? Yes. I think maybe a little bit of both. Uh, I think sometimes God equips people with things that just can't be, can't be learned. Uh, however, unfortunately, I think oftentimes we think of leaders in the wrong way. In fact, there's been a lot of recent research 
that would tend to debunk the idea that great leaders are always kind of charismatic and extroverted. In fact, some recent research shows that oftentimes very charismatic and extroverted leaders make it too much about themselves and they don't make it enough about the people and the cause. So for me, I think it's really important for us to understand that maybe, maybe there's a mix of both. I think that everybody is called to lead. Does that mean we all have leadership positions? Uh, probably not. But I think leadership is positionless. I think each of us has been given the gift of God, at least one gift of God. And as it says in 1 Peter 4.10, that we're to use these graces that God has given us to express God's grace in its various forms. So for me, that, that's, that's leadership. It's, it's using what God has given us to do the work faithfully to impact other people, which I think is the, is the essence of leadership. Now, in terms of leadership development, you know, as Paul tells Timothy, hey, fan into a flame the gifts that God has given you. So I think we have a responsibility, not just to ourselves, but to our community. And Lord knows to our students to say, hey, what has God given you? You were knit together in your mother's womb. You are wonderfully and beautifully made. God has, God has crafted you together in his image. And if we can help kids understand that and identify their gifts, their strengths, and fan those gifts and strengths into a flame, that can be world transforming. In 2009, you became the vice president of student development here at Lee. What was that experience like for you? That experience was a humbling experience. Uh, stepping into a new leadership role, I think it's important for leaders to say, okay, God, you, you've led me here. But I think it's another thing to embrace those responsibilities with a sense of all reverence and humility. So for me, it was one of those times to where it was kind of a gut check to say, okay, Lord, uh, thank you again for your faithfulness. Thank you for this opportunity, but I definitely want to do this in a way that's about you and it's about the people and it's not about me. I think that that has been a specific thing that Angela and I have tried to do through our lives, that when God has led us to opportunities like this, to try to embrace them and be thankful for them, but also to step into them with, with, with humility. Student development is a broad, overarching umbrella. What are the responsibilities that fall under your care? The way that our president over the years has described it is pretty much anything that happens outside the classroom. So it's the life of the student. Our job is to make sure that students are engaging in the life of the campus. Now with me, it's not just been, okay, you're responsible for all the co-curricular experiences outside the classroom, but I've been heavily involved in the classroom as well. So I think that's a set of unique experiences to create what we like to call a seamless learning environment for students. And that is how can we actually bring what you're learning in the classroom to bear on your holistic growth? Also, how can we take what you're learning outside the classroom and bringing it inside the classroom I think one of the best ways to do that is actually in terms of growing in our faith. What are we learning in Bible class and how can we apply that to our lives? But what about the life lessons that we're learning with our families, with our peers on the field and how can we grow in our faith? So for me, it's all about integration. 
I'm looking back now, how do you see the Lord's hand at work in really refining and shaping your calling? I think your word shaping is brilliant because to me, it definitely wasn't one of those things that was clearly linear and sequential. I believe that through a reiterative process, the Lord continued to guide us. I actually think a lot of people struggle with that. You know, they ask the Lord, hey, could you please reveal the next 50 years of my life? And I think for me, and if the folks watching this and listening to this can connect with this, uh, perhaps it'll be insightful to their own faith journey. Maybe even one of the kids in the upper school. God, will you please just reveal the next 50 years to me? But again, if you're like me, the struggle would be if God revealed the next 50 years to me, I'd be tempted to not stay very close to him. Because to me, what was really so deeply beneficial and transformative to me wasn't some, some be-all, end-all revelation from God, but it was the day-to-day intimacy, the discipline, the cultivation of the ability to hear his voice and be obedient. So for me, I think that's what's really critical. God literally shaped us in a way that was step-by-step and not just, Mike, here's the ultimate destination. Now you're both in education and you have been for many, many years. What's it like for you to have your individual callings and educators and what does that look like to work together in that? Uh, It's been a real powerful synergy for us. Uh, Really at the core of our marital mission is this idea of helping students know they matter. And it's really interesting because obviously as people have asked me, okay, Mike, what's the deal with shifting from college to K-12. And to me, uh, obviously there are developmental differences, but still really at the core of my calling is this sense of helping students know they matter. They're, they're a little younger now as we look to join the WC family, but for us, it's, it's a collective call as well. So I've been obviously working with older students, Angela with younger students, but at the core of our marriage is this uh, sense of a collective call that we want students to know they matter regardless of where they fall on the developmental timeline. So again, it's something deeply personal that each of, uh, each of us is responding to in terms of God's call, but it's really something that we do together uh, as really a kingdom initiative. Yeah. I think too, just the roles that we've played in our individual jobs um, have been very similar and what we have done um, in each of the places that we've been. So we've been able to, like he said, help each other flourish and really think through how to do our jobs better to help students know that they matter. And what I always say is they're just taller when I come to the college. <laughs> it's still the same, same kind of problems, you know, same issues, same struggles. And how do you see this next chapter of your ministry and your lives together? being a continuation of that synergy? I think the word synergy is really critical for me because you get both of us and you get both people who are incredibly passionate and feel a deep sense of calling. And we also feel a great sense of synergy with the mission of WC. I think one of the things that is most attractive to us is how WC focuses on the entire child. And for us, that's always been our calling. So whether it's in the classroom, whether it's on a ball field, whether it's at a leadership retreat, service project, chapel, 
it's always about the holistic development and transformation of the students. So for us, this is an opportunity for us to move forward together uh, in this sense of calling. But again, really at the core is the same commitment to help students know they matter. And ultimately, the idea is that they matter to us because they matter to God and they have been created in His image. And because of that, then they have this inestimable worth and we want to make sure they know that and flourish knowing that because God's created them uniquely to do a unique work. So when we were able to be there um, a few weeks ago and just sharing with the staff, I think I was reminded, uh, you know, again, how important it is that we all come as our whole selves to the job. And there are so many times where we feel like we've got to leave our personal stuff at home or um, things that might happen and not feel like we can be our whole selves when we come to our job. And then, you know, thinking about parents and wanting them to know that they matter because it's hard being a parent in today's society. And I'm just thinking about how we tried to, you know, raise Nicole and Aaron, and it was a different time. It wasn't that long ago, but it was a different time. So really wanting to um, provide support for the parents, um, because a lot of times you do feel alone. So, you know, we want all of them, the students to know they matter, the staff to know that they matter, and the parents to absolutely know that they matter. I think it's on many people's minds why a vice president at a university level who's worked in higher education for over two decades would make a significant shift like this to, to the K-12 world. What's your response to that, or what are your thoughts on that? I think the best way to answer that is that I feel a call to change the trajectory of students' lives. So clearly, over the past 25-plus years, I've been doing that primarily with 18 to 22 year olds. And I have to admit, even though Lee is a phenomenal place and the students who come here are amazing, they come from amazing families, what we're getting at 18 years old uh, would kind of surprise some people. And what I mean by that is maybe immature faith, maybe uh, students who haven't experienced a sense of integration with their faith and the rest of their lives. So for me, as we've worked through this process over nearly the last year, I felt God deeply call us to a sense of, Mike, you and Angela have always been called to change trajectory in the lives of students. And I think he's asking me clearly to maybe move that back in terms of the developmental spectrum. So for me, it's always been about changing the trajectory of students' lives and now just a little younger. Uh, also, at the core of our, of our marriage is a, call, is a call to help students know they matter. In fact, that is my personal mission statement. Uh, it's interesting because I felt God give this to me many years ago. And it's extremely interesting when you think about what he could have told me. So he could have said, Mike, your mission is to help college students know they matter. But he never told me to do that solely. So for me, this is just another expression of what he's called me to, and specifically what he's called Angela and me to, the idea that he wants us to be involved in helping students know they matter, to change the trajectory of their lives a little earlier than perhaps I'm accustomed to. What drew you and Angela to Worthington Christian? 
So over the past 10 years, I've had the opportunity to work closely with three WC graduates at Lee. Um, none of these have been intentional, like I need to search out a WC graduate at Lee, but I've been blessed and I've been deeply influenced by these three students. I've had opportunities to lead with them. I've had opportunities to teach them. I've had opportunities to serve with them. And the one thing that, that, that is true across the board is how well they're prepared for college. So I think for me, uh, it's an opportunity for me to deeply engage in my sense of calling, for Angela and me to engage in a sense of our, of our marital calling, to perhaps again get involved with this wonderful thing called Worthington Christian School, to maybe even make it even better than it is. And it's very exciting to us as well, the deep heritage. When I, when I hear stories about how uh, the church birthed the school and how uh, nearly 50 years ago, there was a vision and that vision has flourished into what it is today. And again, to be able to celebrate 50 years together really soon, that to me is incredibly exciting. So what is it about Worthington Christian? It's a mission match. It's about where it's been, and it's about where I believe it's going by the providential hand of God and by the power of the Spirit. I think it's probably on all of our minds in unique ways. You know, what kind of leader are you going to be? What vision do you have for the school? What's the next chapter going to look like? And what do you want to communicate to the WC community who have those questions on their mind? Uh, my leadership, I hope, is marked more by a towel than a title. I fundamentally believe in leading like Jesus, not just leaving like Jesus, but leading like Jesus. I often remember when the disciples approached Jesus and uh, a few of them have a special request for him. Hey, can we, can we have these positions of privilege in the kingdom? And he kind of calls a huddle and says, you know, kind of time out. Uh, you guys have no idea what you're asking. And it's really not my place to say that, he says. But then he says, uh, but the Son of Man has come that he would actually not be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I also think about passages like Philippians 2, 1 through 11 to where we're implored to have the mind of Christ. And that expression is in this beautiful hymn of the church at that time that talks about how we're supposed to get along with one another, how we're supposed to impact one another, how we're supposed to deal with our authority. Ultimately, the expression of servant leadership is found in John chapter 13, when Jesus, just hours away from his crucifixion, decides to wash the feet of the disciples. And as far as we know, according to the biblical record, he washed the feet of all the disciples. Kind of when I allow that to sink in, that's, that's pretty powerful. That's washing the feet of maybe the guys who are in the inner circle a little bit, but it's also inclusive of a guy who has been kind of in the inner circle like Peter. Jesus already knows what he's about to do. He also knows what Judas is about to do. So to me, that's such a beautiful expression of servant leadership. I hope to embody servant leadership. Also, uh, I look uh, coming to learn the culture. I know a lot of leaders who step into a new position, particularly from an outside position, without a lot of institutional knowledge, uh, feel this pressure to come in and make changes immediately. I don't feel that way at this point. I think I've got to come in learning. I've got to come in growing. 
and experiencing what this community is all about. In fact, one of the things that is really critical for effective leadership is inspiring a shared vision. In fact, we know this from decades of leadership studies. So what that means is that I'm not coming as the chief visionary. I'm not coming with some kind of grand plan that I'm like, okay, this is what WC has to be within a year, within five years. No, I wanna hear the hearts and the dreams of the people, particularly the people who have been there for a long time, but also the people who might be brand new to the school this fall. So I wanna hear the vision. I wanna hear what God is saying to them and then try to shape a shared vision that we all own together and that we all will carry together. But make no bones about it. I've gotta be responsible for that vision. And again, if you'll go back to the phrase, inspiring a shared vision, we're gonna come up with it together. I'm gonna to come in and listen. I'm gonna ask you to own it with me, but I want to inspire it. And when you look at the word inspire, it literally means to breathe into. And I can't wait to animate the vision, to inspire, to breathe a life into a vision. And what is a vision? The best definition I've ever heard of a vision is a compelling picture of the future that produces passion. Again, a compelling picture of the future that produces passion. Ultimately, it comes from God, but I can't wait to learn from the community and to develop the sense of shared values and vision and inspire it. I'm curious about how you envision your interactions with the parents being, obviously on a college campus, parental involvement is minimal. So what will that look like for you coming into this, to this new space? You know, the parental relationship piece, uh, it might surprise some people. It's, it's more than I think people realize because what I, what I know from parents from preschool all the way through graduate school is they still want to be partners in their children's education. And I think obviously that might look a little different, again, depending on where the child is on the developmental spectrum. But for me, it's still that core commitment to be partners with the parents. So clearly, educating a child in kindergarten will differ a great deal from a college freshman. Maybe not so different, <laughs> but uh, our, our commitment is to continue to partner with parents in ways that address the whole child. We are deeply committed to this idea that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So for us, again, it's that holistic development, trying to develop that child along with what the parents are teaching them at home. Unfortunately, I think a lot of times in Christian education, again, whether it's K-12 or Christian college, oftentimes there, there's kind of this relationship of animosity that, that, that will emerge. And uh, we definitely wanna make sure that parents know that we're in the same boat and we're all rowing in the same direction. Uh, and again, in the way that we're partnering together to raise those, those kids in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And I'm sure you know a lot of parents come and volunteer and are involved in their child's life at school. So, um, you know, continuing with those kinds of avenues for them, or um, certain parental training, maybe when there are issues that might come up that they will either discuss or know more about, or how to help their children. I mean, social media right now is just 
insane at times and really trying to navigate that well um, and help our children know how to navigate that in the world that they're facing. So I think um, obviously we, we love sports. We love um, all of the arts. So, you know, they're probably going to get tired of seeing us. Um, I'm a crazy fan, so uh, they'll hear me for sure. I try to be quiet when it's, um, you know, a musical kinds of kind of thing. But um, so we, you know, we, we think that's important to be there, to show up, to be arm in arm with parents um, in the rough times when it's difficult and in those joyous times like the girls basketball team going to the championship game, which was crazy that we got to be there for that. So, um, so yeah, it could look a lot of different ways. One of the deep commitments that we have as a couple and as a family is to try to address what so many students are dealing with today in terms of their mental and emotional health. Uh, we know that actually some people refer to what, what we've been going through as a triple pandemic. You have COVID, you have all the racial and uh, ethnic unrest, and then you have significant exacerbation of mental and emotional uh, concerns. So for us, that's part of helping students know they matter as well. And we want to make sure parents know that we're committed to that. You know, part of my background is as a counselor in terms of providing mental health care, and that's really close to our hearts. And we want to make sure parents know that we take that seriously. We want their students to flourish, not just academically, not just in terms of their faith, but also in terms of how they're growing emotionally. You talk about prioritizing listening and partnering with um, the people that make up the Worthington Christian community. But with leadership change, there there are always things that, that, that move and change and there are different iterations of, of what exists. What are some of the things that you see on the forefront of your responsibilities coming into this role? I think one of the chief responsibilities that we need to hit the ground running toward is uh, WC is up for its uh, five-year cycle of reaccreditation. And that's going to be something that the school needs to embrace broadly. What I mean by that is that we need to actually have everyone's voice included in looking at where the school is and where the school wants to move forward. So specifically, part of that would be to develop a strategic plan. It's time to dream about what WC can be. Do we know the specifics of that strategic plan at this point? No, but what we do know is that we're going to have an incorporative process. We're gonna have a broad-based input opportunity for everybody. And what we'll do is we'll ask people to speak into the strategic plan. Where are their strengths? Where are their weaknesses? How can we grow from there? I think it's also important to understand that part of what we're going to do is we're going to look for expansion opportunities. How can we be more invested in the community? So we've talked about my own personal investment in the life of the community. I want to model the way in that regard. How might we, how might we dream of helping our students more fully express their faith through maybe service learning? literally being the, ha the hands and feet of Christ. I'm also looking for opportunities to engage in leadership development. I think a lot of parents would think, okay, yeah, yeah, maybe my son or my daughter, but what about leadership development for staff and faculty? Which leads me to an absolutely critical aspect. How are we recruiting and retaining top-notch faculty 
who care for students and will teach the students well. So for me, those are some of the immediate priorities. And again, without specifics, we're going to be engaged in a wall-to-wall -wall strategic plan to set up WC for an even better future. One of the more critical aspects of input is to listen to parents. So I believe it's critical for WC to be good partners with parents. And one of the ways we do that is again, we listen to people when they partner with us. So fortunately, the board of directors has made available to me the feedback from the most recent parent survey. And I appreciate the time that the parents have taken to provide that input. And one thing I can say is I'm listening. Now, can we do everything that parents want? There's no way that, that, that that's gonna be feasible. But at the end of the day, I can guarantee that parents, you're heard. In fact, it's one of the critical things that I've done before we've officially begun in this role, and that is to listen to what parents are saying about what's best for their children and what's best for the school. We are preparing to celebrate the 50th anniversary of Worthington Christian, and that is a significant milestone in the, the community and the life of the school. What's it like for you to come in in this moment in history for the school? We're extremely excited about that. This is such a significant milestone. I don't know if the people in the community are fully aware, but so many Christian K-12 schools, they don't live to be 50. They definitely don't live beyond 50 if they don't make it to 50. So uh, I hope people appreciate it. I hope that they value it deeply. I hope that they cherish the tradition and I think that's one of the things that we want to learn about and hear about even more, to really cherish the tradition, to, to celebrate the legacy, and to really value how WC has gotten to where it is. However, there's a chance to build such a bright future. So how do we do that? We listen to the voices of the past. We celebrate the achievements. We value the people who have who've carried the rock this far forward. But how do we actually move it forward? Well, again, we take what got WC to this place. Uh, what, is, what has made it great? What has, what has helped it thrive and maybe even at times survive? How can we celebrate those individuals who have paid such a deep price to get us here? And how can we actually honor the legacy? Well, one, one way you honor the legacy is to simply say thank you and to make sure that you acknowledge what those people have done. But the way you truly acknowledge a legacy is you carry that vision and that dream forward into a next generation, into the next generation and beyond. So thank you to all the people who have gotten WC to where it is, but I'm excited that many of those people are still on board and they're going to help us move to an even brighter future together. <laughs>